Um, okay, Acts time. Let's get in Acts. Acts chapter 10. Okay, last time we were together, we talked about change. I don't know if you remember this. We talked about, you know, Peter received this, this vision. We'll talk about it here in a minute. He received this vision. Very strange, strange vision. Uh, and uh, it brought about a lot of questions, but, but there was a lot of fears in his heart as it concerned the changes that it would bring. Okay, if he understood the vision rightly, that vision would produce a lot of change in his life. And you can see throughout this passage, you can see the wheels turning and it, you see his doubt and you see his struggle with the changes that are coming in his ministry life. And, and we use this as a platform to talk about change in our lives. And we talked about how a lot of fear arises when we see uh, the imminency of change. And we applied this in terms of, of all different things. We talked about it in terms of, of, of life and, and maybe your home life, maybe your ministry, things that you're doing in ministry. We know for a fact that, that God is calling people in Kaya uh, to the mission field, to plant churches, to go and be a part of those works. Those decisions are never easily arrived at. Changes in your career, changes in your degree program, a vision for the mission field. You know, we discussed all these things. We d- discussed it from the perspective of, I'm ringing a little bit. Can you hear that? Can, I don't know if we can fix that or if there's something I can do about, about that sound. Um, but... Uh, we discussed it from the, the aspect of there's value in obeying God with sincerity, even when we doubt. Even when we have doubts, even when we have struggles, even when it seems difficult, obeying with sincerity is what God wants. And He has a way of getting us there. Now, I have never done this in the history of my, my preaching tenure, but I am re-preaching that message from a different perspective. Okay? So I'm gonna go, we're going to cover the same section of Scripture. Uh, I couldn't help it. I couldn't get past this, so, so forgive me. Uh, but we're going to look at this story again. But we're going to look at it from a slightly different angle. Okay? Today we are going to study how to hear from God. How to hear from God. How do we know? And this is, this is one of the questions that we're going to pose. How do we know that we're hearing from God and not some other source? How do we know that we're hearing from God and not some other device implanted? Okay? To convince us of something that is actually quite the antithesis of what God wants for our lives. Alright, so let's put it this way. 17th century evangelist John Wesley, if you're familiar with him, said, Do not hastily ascribe things to God. Do not easily suppose dreams, voices, impressions, visions, or revelations to be from God. They may be from Him. They may be from nature. They may be from the devil. So how do we know? You know, many times we run the risk of confusing God's words with the words of other sources, our mind, our hearts, our dreams, And our own will, our own fleshly will. And we often impose those things on our decision making. It's hard to make decisions. Especially at the age that many of you are at. Making decisions can be very, very difficult because they all seem so grand. Right? They seem so big. 
And they throw our whole lives into a completely new trajectory. When you get to be old like me, the decisions that you make a lot of times are questions like, uh, do we paint the front door yellow? It's <laughs> a big question. It takes lots of deliberation. No, but honestly, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, that's, we've, we talked about this last week, the change is always inevitable. It's just a matter of how and when. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have to grow comfortable with the idea that even as you age, even as you become 36 years old, there are always going to be big questions posed, big changes ahead of you, new visions and new horizons that God has for you, and you've got to be ready for them. You have to be prepared. And we have to know whose voice is speaking to us. Lots of times... We confuse the voice of our flesh with the voice of God. We hear lies. And for convenience sake, we ascribe those lies to our life as goodness. We call them goodness. This is good. And we justify things. We confuse the voice of the news and media and culture and politicians with biblical morality. Don't we? I mean, anymore, depending on who you're talking to. Republican somehow equals Christian. Or Democrat somehow equals Christian, depending on what slant you're coming from. And we, what we do is we ascribe biblical morality to actually very fleshly and worldly ideas. And we do this in our own personal lives. Most Christians fail to understand that there's a hierarchy, hierarchy of Christian authority. So, their lives are ruled by abstract morality and emotional predilection. I feel this way so, and then they invent some sort of reason why they just follow what their flesh wants them to do. Does that make sense? Now today we're going to learn how to sift through untruths and then convert God's words into purposeful obedience. Okay? So let us start again. In Acts chapter 10, verse 11 and 23, hold your place there. Today's message is called, From Perplexity to Purpose. From Perplexity to Purpose. Now first and foremost, if we want to know that God has, um, what God has for our lives, we must start by recognizing the source of God's voice, which is, for us, what? The Word of God. Any knowledge, concept, feeling, or experience that does not submit itself first to the biblical will of God is absolutely 100% incongruent with the person of Jesus Christ. Any knowledge that vaunts itself has to first and foremost be submitted to the authority of Scripture. We have to hold it up to that light. Peter himself acknowledges this, acknowledges this in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16. He says, For we have not uh, followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven, we heard. We heard it also. When we were with him in the holy mount, we have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto 
ye do well, that ye take heed as unto, the, uh, unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. For the pro- prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy, uh, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Peter is urging us here to not allow our authorities to get confused. Rather, honoring Scripture over any other source of knowledge. And this is the great battle. This has been the great battle. Here's my water. There you are. Okay. This has been the great battle since the garden. This is it. Adam and Eve in the garden, hanging out. Not a whole lot of commandments. Really, really simple. We always say this. The Word of God was real small. Okay? Back then. Don't eat of this tree. That was it. That was the word of God over their lives. It wasn't a whole lot to obey, but yet, but yet, Satan found a way to make that perplexing, to make that confusing. He found a way to, to jumble that, that, that basic and simple will of God. And it's the same battle that rages today. It's the same battle that's raging in Peter's life. Peter's mind here in this story is one who's struggling between whether or not this is the voice of God or the voice of of his flesh. He stands doubting. He needs confirmation that God's words are his words. And he needs to know what they mean. He needs to know what they mean. When we last saw Peter, he was standing in doubt, questioning the word of God for his life. Let's look at verse 11, shall we? And saw heaven opened, and a certain vessel descending unto him, as it had been a great sheet knit at the four corners and let down to the earth, wherein were all manners of four-footed beasts of the earth, and wild beasts, and creeping things, and fowls of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. Okay, so what are we seeing? We see a sheet descending from the sky, full of these animals of every sort, and a voice calling out to him that says, Rise, kill eat. So for Peter, the words of God were clear. Did he not hear them? Right? He knows what they are. Rise, kill, eat. Those are very simple command, right? So the words are clear, but that does not mean they're easy to receive. That doesn't mean they're easy to receive. It left him with a bunch of questions. For a man of Jewish heritage and culture, the proposition to eat unclean meat was likely sickening to him confusing, and required a courage that he couldn't easily conjure. He wanted to know, what was the significance? What is God up to? If this is what He wants from you, what is He doing? What's, what, how does He respond? What's He say? You remember? Not so, Lord. Not so, Lord. Which is the common response of all of our hearts When God's revelation comes without warning, isn't it? When God shows us something new and it challenges us where we stand, and it comes without warning, perhaps, it's always difficult. And our natural response is, not so, Lord. We fear it. We jumble it. We doubt it. We ignore it. See, the issue for Peter is, listen to me very carefully, he hadn't yet made a connection between God's command 
and his will. This is very important to understand. There's a distinction here. He hadn't yet made the connection between God's command and his will. Key point number one. The word of God reveals the will of God. Okay, that seems very simple, doesn't it? Seems simple. Okay, but listen carefully. The word of God reveals the will of God, his purposes. See, God, God's commands always support the heartbeat of his agenda. His commands, his words that, that come to you are always given you to you with the intent that they support his heartbeat. Listen, God's will is not simply his commands. His commands are the reinforcement of the desires of his very character. In this case, his command to Peter was rise, kill, eat. But that doesn't mean anything if Peter doesn't learn God's heart on the matter. And his heart is what God hath cleansed. That call, not thou common. You understand? So the command was, rise, kill, eat. But the heartbeat of God, the will, the purpose, was, listen, I need you to understand that the things that I call clean are clean. The things that I love, you ought to love. The things that I cherish, you ought to cherish. And when I give you a command, that's intended to support my heartbeat. This is why he doesn't want just duty for our lives. He wants us to follow him in obedience with sincerity, knowing his very heartbeat, his will, his purpose. Rise, kill, eat doesn't mean anything if it doesn't provoke Peter to rise, go, and preach the kingdom of God to the Gentiles, despising no person. That's practically how God's heartbeat in his life should play out. You know, we're going to be much more satisfied as Christians if we can make connections between God's commands and His character. When we read God's Word, a lot of times it just does, it does feel like just a lot of to-dos. It feels like a really long to-do list sometimes. This is why it's of utmost importance that when we read His commands, do we make a connection to His character and His personage. And we join him where he's at. But God is faithful. And when we seem to miss his will and plan for our lives, God is faithful to affirm his word within our circumstances. And so, what we're talking about today is, A, how do we know that it's God's voice? What are the evidences that when we hear something from God, a conviction of some sort, we receive a vision of some sort, we read a passage and it moves us and we know that there's a a voice. How do we know that that's God? But then how do we take that and apply it to our lives? So first of all, we know that God affirms His words by altering our circumstances to be compatible to His will. Listen to what happens. Verse 17. Jump ahead there. Now, while Peter doubted in himself what this vision, which he had seen, should mean, 
Behold, the men which were sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for, for Simon's house and stood before the gate and called and asked whether Simon, which was surnamed Peter, were lodged there. See, Peter's doubts are there. He doesn't know what to make of them. He doesn't know what to make of the commands of God. And about the time that he doubts, the doorbell rings. And three men from Joppa are standing outside. Three unclean, pork-eating Gentiles who want Peter to go with them. See, the confirmation that God's word had come to Peter came in the clarity of his presenting situations. Not only were God's words from heaven beckoning him to preach, but these Gentiles stood outside of his door and his circumstances suddenly invited the work that God had called him to. You know, we should understand that this is how God works in our lives too. He'll speak a will over his li- our lives. He'll speak a truth into our lives through his scriptures. And then he'll go about creating circumstances that demand that we either obey or disobey. He will orchestrate a situation in which you are forced to make a decision as it concerns the thing that he would have you to do. This is how he works. And I could give you a million different examples of this. Because in some regard, they happen in minor ways in our lives every day. God, would you, ha- would you really have me to do this? Because I'm recognizing this conviction. Would you really have me to do this? And then suddenly that thing becomes plain because our circumstances unfold. Maybe it has something to do with a job. Maybe it has something to do with a degree. Maybe it has something to do with a relationship that you have with someone. And then sometimes it happens on a grand scale. God, would you have me to go to this field and minister here? And as, you, as that question is posed, your life circumstances somehow fold, unfold in such a way that would allow that thing to happen. And it forces you to either decide to obey or disobey. Obey or disobey. You get to decide that. We can know God is at work when our circumstances authenticate what we read in God's Word. We can know that God is at work when our circumstances authenticate what we read in God's Word. Key point number two, listen to me. God reorders our circumstances to affirm His will and disaffirm our own will. To disaffirm our own will. So while he's validating his commands, as he's validating his will in our lives, he also gives us an opportunity to see that our fleshly thoughts, our fleshly desires, our fleshly ways are are inadequate and invalidated in light of his will. Does this make sense? I mean, God is good to do this. And and I, I can't really explain it to you. I just know that he does it. And, and I'm always waiting for it. I'm always waiting for it. You know, a, a long time ago, um, I remember Pastor Sam, I can't even remember what the situation was, but I was praying through something. And I had many different options in terms of decision making. And I remember Sam saying, well, keep all of those doors open. But pray in such a way that God 
forces you to paint yourself into a corner. Okay, and what he meant by that was this. Well, if you're not 100% sure what God is telling you, if you ask him, he has a way of forcing the circumstances of your life into his will. If you are willing to align your will with him and you're to go to him and to pray to him and ask him, God, make a way I don't know. He has a way of doing that. And this is the underlying principle of the entire book of Acts. God knocks at the door of our lives. A door opens, a door closes. A path is set for us so that we know that, that obedience to his word, what, it, what exactly it looks like. What does it look like? What does obedience look like? God also affirms his word through the conviction of his spirit. Okay, so, so far we have a word spoken to Peter, and he's doubting. And then his circumstances awaken his eyes to the fact that, that maybe God's up to something. Now, now he has to face God's voice through the Spirit. Verse 19. While Peter thought on the vision, the Spirit said unto him, Behold, three men seek thee. Arise therefore, and get thee down, and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. See, Peter thought on the vision, still contemplating, still concerned, still preoccupied, and then suddenly the Spirit speaks to him. But notice here that the Spirit speaks expressly on what Peter already knew that he was supposed to do. Key point number three. The Spirit of God recites the will of God to our conscience. That's what the Spirit of God does. It's very, very simple. This is what the Spirit of God does in our lives. He indwells the believer. The person that has called upon Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior has the Holy Spirit indwelling them. And the Holy Spirit is constantly calling out to us to convict us to abide by the will of God. That's what he does. 1 John 5, 6 says, This is he that came by water and blood, even Jesus Christ, not by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit that beareth witness because, now this is what's important, the Spirit is truth. The Spirit is truth. Look, the Spirit isn't your spiritual scapegoat for justifying doing the things that you feel. How did, this, how did this happen? How did this perspective on the Holy Spirit come about? Where he became a spiritual scape, scapegoat. For anything that we're feeling in the moment, we call it the Spirit. How did the Holy Spirit of God become synonymous with the immature and fuzzy feelings that you get in your heart? How did that happen? Listen to me. This is very, very important. If your emotions contradict the truth of God, then that's not of the Spirit of God. If your emotions in some way contradict the truths of God's Word, His Bible, then you can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that that thing is not of the Spirit. And we've got to be very careful about this practice that we get in where we say, well, the Spirit said, No, no, no. What the Spirit always says is God's will. 
the Spirit always says God's will. And you don't get to impose your will and call it Spirit. The Spirit of God only and always resounds the already established words of God in our hearts and minds. That's what he does. So now we've got Peter. He's, he's got his circumstances are becoming orchestrated so that it makes it simpler for him to understand God's words for his life. His circumstances begin to form in such a way that he knows the direction that he's supposed to go. He gets an inkling. Then the Spirit of God comes and convicts his heart and recites the very things that God has already said to him. And now God reaffirms his word through other Christians. Now, listen to me. In this case, not yet Christians. Listen to the story. Here's the accountability piece. Verse 21. Then Peter went down to the men which were sent unto him from Cornelius and said, Behold, I am he whom ye seek. What is the cause wherefore ye are, ye are come? And they said, Cornelius the centurion, a just man and one that feareth God, and of good report among all the nation of the Jews, was warned from God by an holy angel to send for thee into his house and to hear the words of thee. It says in verse 20 that God sent these men. Doesn't it? God sent these men. They were agents of God's will. Come to call Peter to a truer work. See, listen, God uses people to hold us accountable. God uses people to affirm his words in our lives. Now, wait a second, though, Brandon. People are flawed, people are liars. They are. People are imperfect. Well, then how can I know that this person is coming to me and holding me accountable in such a way that I can receive it? Because what they say sounds like the words of God. Because what they say sounds like the words of God. These men weren't even saved. But God had sent them as agents to rattle Peter's cage. How much greater is the kindred calling that we have in our brethren. Spiritual agents in whom the Holy Spirit dwells come to us to remind us of who God is. See, how many times have you been told by a friend that you were headed the wrong direction? Anybody, anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah. No, what you're doing right now is not right. You're headed the wrong direction. God's word says this. God's plan for your life looked like this. We all saw that. We all bore witness that God was doing this thing. And now you seem to be contradicting his direction for your life. What's that about? Let's redirect. How many of us have had Christian friends come alongside us to encourage us in times of difficulty? When we doubted, when we struggled, when situations seemed impossible, and, and what you needed was a voice of encouragement, a voice of edification, and that person came to you in accountability and said, hey brother, don't forget what God called you to. Don't forget, sister, who saved you. We are here for you. The Spirit is here for you. God's Word is here for you. And we will stand, and we will be okay. How many of us have had Christian brothers and sisters 
remind us of God's words. Key point number four. God's spiritual agents reroute us, rally us, and remind us of God's words. And they affirm His truths in our lives. That's what they do. They reroute us, they rally us, and they remind us of God's words. These men that showed up on Peter's doorstep did that very thing. And they, they had no understanding of even the vision. They, had, they, they knew nothing. They went, they spoke God's truth, and it affirmed who God was in Peter's life and what God was doing. Proverbs 17, 17 says, A friend loveth at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Proverbs 27, 6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Proverbs 27, 17 says, Iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. See, all of us need the counsel of our pastors and of our leaders, but oftentimes we resist, don't we? We resist when our discipler tells us, look, wrong direction, wrong focus. Let's go, let's go back the way we were supposed to be going. We resist it. We struggle with it. We have a hard time with accountability. I've watched it over and over again. I've watched young men and young women in small groups in your Bible studies who've been held to a truth who could not and would not do what was right. And they play at it and they doubt and they doubt and they doubt and eventually their doubt leads to leaving. They leave. They resist. They go. Because they refuse to acknowledge the Word of God. Why do we resist when our church family, whom God, you know, so much of our New Testament defines for us what we're supposed to be to one another? So much of our Bible is about what church should look like and how we should speak to one another and how we should love one another and how we should address one another. And so much of what we're, what we're taught from, God, from God's Word is about our relationship one for another. And yet when a brother or sister comes to us, whether it's a hard word or an encouraging word, we resist. Why do we do that? Because ultimately, we're resisting the words of God which we already know, which the Spirit is already speaking, which our circumstances are already demanding of us. We've already resisted all those other things and the voice of this person tells us, look, you're headed the wrong direction. Brother, sister, come on, let's go. Let's do what's right in God's eyes. And we've already prepared ourselves to do what's wrong. The value of God's word is ultimately confirmed in our actions. So now let's look at our choice. Let's look at our choice. In the midst of doubt, Peter has a command from God. Correct? He has a command. In the midst of doubt, he has a door knocking downstairs calling him to obey. In the midst of doubt, he has the conviction of the Spirit urging him to obey. In the midst of doubt, men are sent to him beseeching him to do what's right. In the midst of his doubt, while God and his counselors may have pointed him in the right direction, 
Only Peter could decide what he would do. Only Peter could make a decision. Obedience came down to him. James 1.22 says, But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is likened to a man beholding his natural face in a glass or a mirror. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. Listen to me. Peter had God's word. Peter Peter had circumstances orchestrated by God. Peter had the Holy Spirit beckoning him. Peter had his brothers and sisters calling him to do the right thing. And there he stood in front of the mirror. And he looked upon his face, right? The mirror of God's word. And he had a choice. Either he would acknowledge what he was seeing in the mirror, or he would walk away forgetting what he saw. He had a choice. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. Key point five. Our actions reveal the nature of our faith. Our actions are a declaration of whether or not we are willing to receive and value the words of God. Acts 10.23 says, Then called he, the, uh, he them in and lodged them. And on the morrow, Peter went away with them, and certain brethren from Joppa accompanied him. So Peter obeyed, didn't he? He invites them into his home, and then he heads to Joppa the next day. He obeys. And Peter's obedience speaks volumes to how he valued God's word and how willing he was to hear the affirmation of God's word through the agents of God, through the counselors of God. How will you value God's word? How will you manage the voices of your flesh versus the counsels that he sends to you in his word? You know, a a tourist um, was in London, okay? A young man was in London, and he wanted to go to Westminster Abbey. And he was walking around, and before he realized it, he was lost. He didn't really know where he was at. Like, I don't know if you've ever been in a big city. Like, I remember being in New York with Eric Phillips. And um, everybody was supposed to meet at a restaurant. Eric was off doing something, and he left me alone. It was my first time in New York. He went and did something else and was very confident that I would be fine. And so I played it off. I was like, yeah, cool. I got it. Subways, no big deal. And I remember getting off the subway too early, and I didn't, I didn't know where, right, quite where the restaurant was, and, uh, and, I, and I, had to, I had to walk and, and like go and find. So you guys know what I'm talking about. You know how this feels. This young man is looking for Westminster Abbey. He can't find it. So he asks a young boy, and he says, hey, which, which way do I go to get to Westminster? And the young boy says, um, turn right up here, okay? Go down one block. And then turn left at the following block. Go three blocks. And at that point, it would be best that you ask directions again. (laughs) 
Okay? Now listen to me. Yeah, that kid's a jerk. No, the, the young man knew directions enough to get him to more directions. And here's the point. From this story, we learn that when God has given you an objective, it is best to simply obey regardless of how uncertain the path may be. When following God's plan for your life, what is important is endeavoring to advance. If only a little way. If only a little way down the path, in the right direction, rather than the incorrect and disobedient direction. It's better to obey God with the little truth that you've been given. The little knowledge that you have, the little insight that you have, that you know that God has called you to, to simply obey that and not be worried whether or not all the other T's are crossed, the I's are dotted. You might not know the way precisely. You know your objective. Your objective is the kingdom of God and the glorification of Jesus Christ. You know your objective is the Great Commission to live for God in every regard and preach His gospel and disciple people. You know that's your objective. It's real simple. It's very, very simple. What gets complex is how we hear from God and how we know His plan for our life and how we live out that vision day to day. That becomes difficult. That becomes perplexing. That makes us doubtful at times. And when that doubt comes... We ought not fret, but simply obey him at the level for which he's revealed truth to us. And as you obey, you'll get to a point where you're ready for more direction. You know, here's my concern, Kaya. There are many of you who are making big decisions for your lives. And if you don't know how to hear from God, if you don't know how to consult his spirit, if you don't know how to consult brothers and sisters in Christ, if you don't know how to watch how your circumstances lead you towards God and his, word, uh, and his will for your life, then you are going to choose to do whatever the freak you want. Now, there's no passage that says, when you do what the freak you want, it ends bad. Okay? Okay? But there are. <laughs> if you choose your own way, that path is destruction. And so every path either leads us to the end goal of following Jesus Christ and his will, or it leads us astray. And it leads us towards destruction. I mean, as gray as life can be, and as complex and perplexing as it can be, there is only two ways, and it is black and white. It is obey or disobey. Now, you may disobey, but if your heart is bent towards faith and following God, regardless of your failures, he's going to get you right on the, on the right path, and he's going to lead you the right way. But we have to be, we have to be astute. We have to be aware. We have to be able to filter out all the false voices. We have to know that God's will for our life always sounds like his word. Does this make sense? 
Let's not be confused by the lies of our feelings or our mind. Let's always submit our authorities to the authority of God's word. If you need prayer today, I'm going to have the worship team come up. If you need prayer today, do not hesitate. Do not hesitate. If you've got a hard decision right now in your life that you have to make, let's get prayer for that. Let's get accountable. Let's ask God to help us make the right decisions. Because the decisions that you make do impact you. Sometimes for a very long time. And we've got to learn how to hear from God. Yeah? Thank you, Eric. Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word. God, we, we ask that you would forgive us of our inability sometimes to acknowledge that you're speaking to us the first time. Like, like there, a conviction might come or a, or a word might come to us from your Bible. And we, we struggle in the beginning to acknowledge it or to know it. 